Well, hey, Heritage, how you doing? You dug out. Good job for being here. I'm so glad that you have plugged in today. I want to just give a warm welcome to everybody across our network, Bettendorf, men of Kiwani, people who are checking us out online, and of course, those of you who are here in Rock Island. Just want to welcome you and thank you for plugging in. My name is Josh. Just in case you don't know me, I am the assistant campus pastor here at the Rock Island campus, and I've been on staff at Heritage for about two and a half years. And I, I got to say, I just love the team that is here at Heritage. I love the team that I get to serve with. They are creative and they're hardworking and dedicated. And uh, I love to watch them develop and, uh, and, and kind of execute expressions and environments that help all of us connect to God, to others, and to our purpose. And so it is a, a high honor to be able to serve on this team. And, and just in the event that maybe you want to know a little bit more about me. I want to just kind of open the crack of the door to my household. I am uh, married to Melissa. We've been married for 20 years, and we've got two kids, uh, Emily, who's 16, and Aaron, who's 12. And we had a really interesting December. Uh, Evidently, the three of them sort of have been conspiring behind the scenes uh, without my knowledge. And one night in early December, They sit me down, they come marching into the living room, and they plop a TV tray in front of me, and then a laptop on the TV tray. And they start to present through PowerPoint a presentation to me of something that they wanted to see happen in our household. And uh, just to give you kind of an example, and you're going to know right away what the ask is as soon as you see the title slide here. But here's the title slide, we should get a cat right meow. The three of them are conspiring. They, they've already picked the cat out. They, they know where they're going to get him from. They know how old he is. They know they've got pictures. So it's burned into, you know, they, they love this cat already. And, and so they go through this big PowerPoint slide. Emily, my daughter, really is the, she's the keynote speaker in this, okay? And she's going through all of this. She's the one that developed the slides. And she's got, you know, what chore she's going to do and how much money she's going to pay towards certain things. She even thought about sleeping arrangements and how we're going to kind of leverage all of those different things in the household. She even used citations, right? She did research and quoted people. Now, I just got out of a degree program myself, so I asked her where her work cited page was, and she didn't have it, and she wasn't really, she didn't really like that. But anyway, I want to share one quote that she, uh, that she dropped on me. She said, one study revealed that women were more attracted to men who own cats because cat ownership often suggests sensitivity and intelligence. Oh my goodness. So she's either playing to my ego or she's playing to some deep insecurities that I have. I don't know. But, but here she is dropping this on me. Now, I got to tell you, I'm a dog guy. I have always been a dog guy. I always will be a dog guy. I had dogs as a kid. 19 of my 20 years of married life, we've had at least one dog, but usually two. We have two dogs now. Certainly, a presentation like this is not going to work on me, right? Fast forward a week, and this is what's going on. You you can barely see, but the cat is like blending in on my chest, on the blanket. We adopted this little guy. His name's Ollie. He's five months old. He, I I hate to admit it, but he's cute. And uh, and so we've we've just been kind of experiencing life with a new cat. Now, because I'm a dog, brained person. I I understand dogs. I understand how they operate. This whole cat journey has been 
it's, it's been mind-blowing. Uh, the, the places that this guy can get to and into, uh, it's crazy. And one of his favorite spots is this spot right here, right on my computer. There have been so many paragraphs that have been deleted, so many additional keystrokes, music turning on just out of nowhere. I mean, it's crazy. But this guy just gets in front of my computer all the time. And so we are experiencing this, uh, this over December, which Christmas trees, ornaments, all that good stuff. It's been great. The cat is still alive. I'm still alive. We still have the cat. And we're continuing to learn more and more about this little guy. So I just wanted to give you kind of a, a quick insight into what our family's been dealing with, the craziness that is our household right now. And I, I want to tell you, I'm excited to be with you today. I'm excited to continue on in this series that we started last week called Even If. It's a series that we're going to be in all of January, and it's a series looking directly into the life of Abraham. It's this uh, really great, uh, you know, character early on in the scriptures, and uh, we're going to take a look at it through the lens of just kind of owning up to the fact that all of us, including Abraham, have what-if questions, and all of us, including Abraham, need to eventually get to an even-if space. So, for example, you might start with a what-if question of like, what if something bad happens to me? And we try to spin that and get to a place where we say, even if something bad happens to me, I will trust God in it. I will trust that he is present with me in it. You might ask, what if the Bears lose their first playoff game on a really weird field goal kick? Okay, too soon, I can tell. All right, we won't go there anymore. Okay, I promise. But the important questions really are this. You know, these, these sorts of things. Will we trust God even if he doesn't work in the midst of, of my preferred time frame? Will I trust God even if he doesn't provide in exactly the way that I was expecting? Will, will we trust God even if he doesn't clear the way of all the obstacles that are in front of me? Will I trust God even if? Now, last week, Pastor Sean brilliantly kicked off this series. He, he looked at Abraham's story and he he really broadened the scope of it. He started kind of right at the beginning in Genesis 12 and the initial call, uh, but then he broadened it and we looked at generations, uh, you know, moving forward in Abraham's story and, and he just did a brilliant job of launching us into this series. And one of the things that you'll catch on to, and you probably did if you were here last week, is that in Abraham's life, we get a lot of good and we get a lot of bad. Even in just Genesis 12 alone, that's kind of the opening chapter of Abraham's life we see the very first story show him launching in great faith into an unknown adventure, and then the story right after that, moving into deceitfulness in order to try to save his life. There's the good and the bad. And I, I don't know about you, but for me, it's really comforting to sort of enter into Abram's story and know that there is good and bad. Because look, I'm human, and I know what it, it feels like to take one really big giant step of faith and then a couple of months down the road, have life sort of rock me back and feel like I took two steps back in my faith. We get both the good and the bad, and I really, really appreciate that about Abram. And we, we can understand, and, and God understands, that that is kind of the human dynamic, and that is something that we all struggle with, that we, we can go from what if to even if and back to, to what if pretty quickly. And so he gives us handholds. He gives us handles along the journey to help us move closer and into deeper faith. And we're going to see that today through Abraham's story. 
And we're going to see the graciousness of God to extend to him a beautiful gift. And it can be summed up in the word covenant. Covenant is not a word that we use a ton uh, in in our language. But I got to tell you, it is deeply important in the scriptures. It is, it is, in fact, really all of the scriptures are written in covenant language. And uh, our Bible is divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. Most of us know that. But, but I want you to understand that the word testament, the, the original Greek word that's used for that, is actually covenant. And it alludes to the fact that there is an old covenant and there is a new covenant. And as we enter into this, this story of Abraham and God today, I think it's really important for us to sort of understand and recognize that, that Abram has his covenant with God. And then we now, in, we are a part of the new covenant. And that covenant is through Jesus with God. And, and just to understand that there, there's going to be similarities, but there's some differences, and that when we speak of covenant here, we're speaking about our relationship or the, the opportunity to covenant with Jesus. And it's going to be a couple of times today where I'm going to pull us out of the Abraham story and talk with us about what it means to be in covenant with God as it relates to Jesus. There's going to be some similarities. We should also maybe try to define covenant a little bit, just so that we have, we're all kind of on the same page. And so I found a really great definition from some biblical scholars this week, and I'm putting it on the screen here. It is an agreement enacted between two parties in which one or both make promises under oath to perform or refrain from certain actions stipulated in advance. In short, a covenant might be more like a a contract in modern-day language. It's not like that, but, but it's a good equivalent for us to maybe latch on to a little bit. I think we all understand the idea of a contract. You've probably signed a few in your day. If you're a sports fan, particularly a baseball fan, you know that this is the off-season right now, and all the news is centered on who is going to sign where, which contracts are going to be signed, and for how much, how many years, how many options. And, and so we're, you know, people who are interested in this stuff are like watching the news to see okay, I want this player to sign with my team. And the agreement really is this. A player gets paid by a team, and in exchange, he agrees to bring his talent to the table, and hopefully he plays at such an elite level that the St. Louis Cardinals go to the World Series this next year, right? Okay, maybe I lost half of you, but I I hear half of you. That's good. That's good. But I got to tell you, if you're like me, and maybe some of you are in the legal field or you know, you, you like this kind of stuff, and no offense to you, but contractual terms just do not bring the warm fuzzies to me. And so one of the questions that you might be asking right up front this morning is, how is the concept of covenant, how is this a gift? And, and how does God leverage this as an avenue for Abraham to go from what if to even if? I mean, how does that work? And To begin to start to answer that question, I think we have to now dive right back into Abram's story, and we're going to concentrate on two conversations that Abraham has with God, two covenant-based conversations. And we're going to unpack this a little bit and talk about this and hopefully pull out some things that make more sense of this. So we're going to pick up in Genesis 15. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there if you want. We'll be there for quite a bit of the time. Uh, of our time this morning. You can, you can turn there. This is the first of two, uh, you know, very significant covenant moments. 
And, and I got to tell you, there's been a lot of water under the bridge since Genesis 12, that initial story that we looked at last week. There's been some good and some bad and some ugly, and, and Abraham is still without a direct heir, and he's still wrestling with some identity things, and he's still not sure. He's kind of, he's still kind of in doubt mode of, of whether this is really going to happen, and he has some significant questions for God. And, and those questions come out in the first six verses, but I want to pick up in verse 7, and we're going to get into immediately some really mysterious covenant language. Bear with me. We'll try to unpack it as we go, but it's going to sound a little bit strange. This is what it says. <clears throat> then the Lord told him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land as your possession. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, how can I be sure that I will actually possess it? And the Lord told him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And so Abram presented all of these to him and killed them. And then he cut each animal, kind of gross, right down the middle and laid the halves down side by side. So here the covenant table has been set. And, and, and it might be helpful for us to sort of pull out a little bit and begin to understand a little bit about ancient covenant-making practices. For instance, one thing that we should know is that there were two types of covenants in that day. One was called a parity treaty. And it is what it sounds like. It was an agreement between two parties of equal power. There was no leveraging, you know, there was not one greater, one lesser. It was two people who came together and agreed on something. That was a parity treaty. But then there was also something that was called a Lord-servant or a Lord-vassal treaty. And the, the Lord served as the much stronger party in that agreement. And the servant or the vassal was, was in, he was clearly in the weaker party of the agreement. And what we have here and what's going to develop in the story is clearly a Lord-vassal treaty where God is in the stronger position. I mean, that is very clear. We, we see that already in verses 7 and 8 where God kind of declares, this is what I've already started to do in you. And, and Abraham declares, look, you know, O sovereign Lord, like I recognize this about you. You are the stronger party. But we should also recognize that Abram is absolutely and positively the, the servant in the story. He is the weaker party, and it's not even close. He is in a much, much, much lesser position. Now, in the ancient world, a superpower, you know, might reach out to a, a lesser nation or a lesser family, and they might make an agreement of like, hey, I'll protect you if you, you know, pledge loyalty to me. And there might be an agreement like that where, you know, a superpower is trying to consolidate an alliance or trying to protect interests. And so they're bringing about smaller families in to kind of make their superpower even bigger. But here it's really interesting to me that God doesn't really need Abram, right? I mean, God doesn't need to consolidate power. He has it all already. He doesn't need to put together a coalition or, or an alliance or a fighting force. Here is the God who created everything that is seen and unseen, and he has enough power without the help of Abram. And yet, this is an act of grace, friends, and yet, as a sign of him, you know, 
declaring promises to Abram, trying to put Abram's mind at ease that these things were going to work out, he initiates this conversation and he initiates a covenant moment. And he comes to Abram and wants to make an agreement with him, even though he is a much, much, much weaker partner. Now let me press pause on Abram's story and pull us out because this is true of you and of me. This is true of us as it relates to how God wants to enter into covenant or relationship with us through Jesus, and that we should recognize that whenever we enter into this relationship with him, we will always be the weaker party as we enter into this agreement. You could put all the power of all the people who have ever lived and all the people who who have still yet to live together, put it all together, and we would still approach God in a much, much weaker position but this is what makes this, the, our story and Abram's story and really the story of God interacting with creation so amazing that he comes to our level and even though there's nothing in it for him, he extends the gift of covenant to come alongside of us, to offer his protection and to offer certain things. In fact, one of the things that I wanna pull out of this is to say that when we enter into covenant with God, it connects us to his limitless strength. That's the first fill-in if you're following along in your note-taking guide. When we covenant with God, we are instantly given access to his limitless strength. Now, this, this is so amazing to me because God doesn't need us. He, he can do anything that he wants to do, and yet he comes to us with the offer of covenant. And when we agree to his terms, when we, when we say, I want you in my life, he will bring all of his power to bear on your behalf in order to fulfill the purposes that he has in your life. And this is amazing news for us. I love what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. It's actually a great rhetorical question. It sounds like this. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? We know the answer to that question. No one can stand against us. There is no circumstance that, that we face that would be uh, too big of a match for God. There, there's no situation or an event that would surprise him. There, there are friends, there is no brokenness in you that God could not come in and bring healing to you. We can move from what if to even if by remembering how powerful God really is And remembering that relationship and covenant with him gives us access to that limitless strength. That's an amazing gift that he gives to us. And it's gracious, but but friends, there's so much more to pick up in the Abraham story. So we're going to dive back in to Genesis 15. It's the same conversation, but but we're going to move all the way ahead to verse 17. And and we're going to move to a spot in Abram's story where we just, it's mysterious, but it's, it's so significant. It's so powerful. And it'll start to make sense of some of the animal stuff that we ran into a little bit earlier. This is what it says. Verse 17, after the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given this land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the great Euphrates River. Now this moment, this is where the covenant is actually sealed. But there's some imagery that's going on here 
that I feel like it might be helpful if we start to dig underneath of it a little bit. And let's start with the reality that all of these covenants, all of the ancient covenants, were, they were always set up with an oath and a sacrifice. And in fact, the oath was sealed through the sacrifice. And I mean that literally. And what would happen is these parties, each party would, would walk in between these cut-in-half animals. You start to understand why those are there. And they walk between them and they state their oath. What are the terms of the conditions that they're agreeing to? And they walk between them, and that is the sealing moment for them. And sometimes, uh, in the kind of the, the Lord-servant treaties, sometimes only the weaker party was made to go through that. It's been nicknamed the bloody alley, right? Sometimes only one party needed to go. The weaker party would, would walk through the bloody alley, and sometimes both parties would. But, but this was the way of sealing the covenant. Now, we should also recognize one other sort of gruesome, sort of sobering reality about what this meant. Because each party, as they walked through this bloody alley, they would be essentially saying, it was kind of unspoken, but they would essentially be saying, may what happened to these animals around me, may that happen to me if I, if I fail to fulfill the terms of my oath, if I fail to, you know, to fulfill the terms of the covenant. Now that, that's intense. I mean, essentially, may I be cut in half if I fail to live up to the terms of this agreement. That is deadly serious. I feel like some sports contracts would have gone better if that had been in a condition, you know, hanging over the head of the player. But, but this is serious stuff. And notice in verse 17, and this is where it gets so beautiful. Notice what happens during that part of the ritual where it says, you know, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the dead animals. Now look, it's only Abram and God there, right? So this is God doing this for Abram. Smoke and fire, those are, those are significant images in the Old Testament which spoke of God's presence among his people. You can keep reading in the Old Testament, you'll run into that pretty fast. And so I, I want us to notice God does not make Abram walk the bloody alley. God does not make Abram move through this, this, this alleyway of, of these cut up animals. It was God who did. It was God who walked this walk. It was God through his action, through this commitment, who was, who was taking this unspoken vow, may it be to me like these animals if I fail to live up to the conditions of this agreement. Friends, everything about this agreement at this point was resting upon the shoulders of God, almighty God. Listen, God didn't even need to make the walk. I mean, he could have, as the stronger party, just made Abram go through. That's what could have happened. But God, the strongest party in any agreement, walked the bloody alley in order to announce to Abram that he will not fail to keep his promises. He walked this journey in order to, to, to communicate that his faithfulness will endure. And in, in doing so, he graciously gives Abram an avenue to go from what if to even if because of the promise that God will fulfill what he has promised. And I, I love this about our God. And this all kind of leads to a second truth for us to hopefully cling to today, and that is to say that entering into covenant with God connects us 
to his unending faithfulness. Covenant with God connects us to his unending faithfulness. He will never leave you or forsake you. He, he will see his covenant promises through all the way to the end. Regardless of what curveballs life throws your way, regardless of the suffering that you might be uh, enduring right now, regardless of the confusion maybe over a decision that you need to make or, or maybe a, something that's happening in your life that you're just really in the dark about, you're fuzzy about, God will see you through. He will see his promises through in your life. I love how the author of Hebrews sort of puts this. It's a, it says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. God will see us through. We can move from what if to even if when we begin to recognize that we will never ever have to face life alone we will never ever have to face a difficult moment alone. He will never ever fail to direct us and guide us and lead us into his purposes all the way to completion. And then, listen, in the same way that Abram walked the bloody alley for Abram, so, and this might sound familiar, so Jesus walked the bloody alley. Jesus was the bloody alley. And he, he walked this, this road of sacrifice on the cross and secured the victory for us once and for all. And when we covenant with him, when we, when we come to terms with him in terms of receiving him and bringing him into our life, we can know that God has already put everything that's impossible for us to accomplish. He has already put that on his shoulders, that he's already walked the bloody alley for us, and that we are stepping into a relationship where he will never fail us and that we can trust him with our lives. That is amazing. That is such good news. But friends, it just keeps going. And we move then to a second conversation that Abram has with God. This is, you fast forward two chapters in the scriptures. This is in Genesis 17. And what you're going to notice right away is some of the language is similar, but there is one distinctive difference that we're gonna hone in on. You'll probably pick up on it when we read through it. But this is Genesis 17. We're gonna pick up in verse three. Let this just wash over you. This is, there's some beautiful language here uh, of God speaking over Abram. And this is what it says. Then God said to him, this is my covenant with you. I will make you the father of a multitude of nations. And what's more, I am changing your name. It will no longer be Abram. Instead, you will be called Abraham, for you will be the father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations, and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. Listen, I will always be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This is beautiful, but there is something very significant that happens in the midst of this. It happens early on, but we see a shift happen. Pastor Sean alluded to this a little bit last week. There is, there is a renaming that happens in this moment. And it's a very, it's kind of a subtle rename, but it's significant because Abram is given the name Abraham. Now, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father 
of many. Again, small but significant shift. Because at the time, Abram was entering this conversation. He was the father of one. And if you go back a chapter, you'll recognize a mistake that he made. And, and he kind of tried to manufacture his own way of getting an heir uh, for, for his inheritance. And it wasn't God's plan. It was, he was the father of Ishmael. And, and God, that wasn't what God intended for him. And Abraham, or Abram got very impatient. And, and, and so he was the father of one in this moment. But then God shifts the name and gives him the name Abraham to represent sort of this, the, the, this promise that he's been giving to him for, for years now. But it's a promise that Abram has just been so, it's been so difficult for him to latch on to. And, and you read his story uh, in any detail, you'll recognize that Abraham's greatest what-if struggles, his, his deepest issues has to do with this whole heir and descendant thing. He, he, his deepest worry is that he would never actually have a child with his wife, Sarah. And God kept promising over and over, this is going to happen for you, this is going to happen for you. And then here is God graciously giving him a name to signify and call out the identity and vision that he already had in place for Abraham, but Abraham was just struggling to believe it. It was, it was fuzzy to him. And I, I wonder how awkward it must have been to assume this name, assume this new name at 99 years old with a wife who at that point had been barren. I wonder if maybe he even got, there was some snickering around the peripheral of his life of like, you're called what now? You know, I wonder how awkward it would have been to assume that name and sort of a, you know, this is a promise, but it's not yet fulfilled, the waiting space. I wonder how, how, how tense that would have been and how difficult that would have been. And yet, this was an extremely valuable gift that God was giving to Abraham. Because every time that Abraham would be called by this new name, there would be that reminder of the promise of something that God was still saying, it's just out there. You've got to keep having faith, even if, keep having faith in the, the, the fact that I'm going to accomplish something great in your life. I love how Andy Stanley, he sums this up. And and this is how, this is what he says. On the day that God instituted his covenant with Abraham, he changed his name to signify the certainty of his future. God renamed Abraham as a way of pointing him in a specific direction for his life of what could be and what would be. Now, all of this kind of leads to a, a stunning and amazing third realization as it relates to entering into covenant with God. And I would say this, that when you enter into covenant with God, you, you, your identity is reshaped. It, it reshapes your identity. Maybe a better way of saying it is that God calls out of you an identity that he had already hardwired into you, but he's calling you out for more. It's an amazing, an amazing gift. I got to tell you, I, uh, just a confession, but my deepest and darkest what-if moments in my life are, are all centered around identity questions. Uh, it really is, it's just a, a thing that has haunted me over and over in my life. I, I kind of, when I spiral, when I kind of get into my depressive bent, there is this tendency to start asking questions like, what if I'm not enough for this thing that God has called me to? What if I'm not going to fit into this team that God has put me in the midst of? What if I'm going to mess things up for whatever church that I'm, I'm serving at? What if I am not 
who others think I am? What if I'm not who I think I am? I remember my last ministry position going through a significantly difficult season. It was a long stretch and it was right in the middle of it. And I remember verbalizing this what if question of like, what, what if God somehow got it wrong when he chose Josh Howard to enter into pastoral ministry? What if he got it wrong when he picked me? And I remember really struggling with that. And I don't know, maybe some of you have, have struggled with that same type of question with, with whatever you are called to. But, but this is why I absolutely have to be reminded of my identity in Christ. I have to be reminded of who he is shaping me into, of, of how he's calling me out for more. I know some of you, and, and I've talked with some of you, so I know this to be true. Some of you are stuck in the past. And so your what-if questions are centered more on maybe a, your worst moment or the biggest mistake that you made. And, and so it comes out in this way. What if this mistake never leaves me? What if I can't be forgiven? What if uh, what happened in the past will never actually leave the, the future? What, what if it just continues to haunt me? What if, what if the brokenness that's in me is so deep and I'm so broken that I can never actually find healing? And friends, I want you to know, without a shadow of a doubt, I want you to know that God will never define you by your worst moment. He will never define you by your worst moment. And, and when, you are when you are tempted to stay stuck in a what-if environment based on a past thing, please cling to your identity in Jesus. Cling to the, the, the identity that he has given to you, that he's making you into something new. He's calling you out for something more. Even if, you, you might say, even if the, my past has, has some brokenness in it, even if I will trust that God is making me into a new creation. I love how the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, anyone, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. My guess is that many of us have some identity-based what-if questions and we just need these continual reminders. Friends, in Christ, you are forgiven. You are free. In Christ, friends, you have a purpose and you have value. In Jesus, you are righteous in God's sight and you are a part of the resurrection tribe. In Jesus, you are fully known and loved by God. You are sons and daughters of the living God. Cling to these reminders. Let this heal you. Let those identity markers remind you and inform you of who you really are, a child of God. And I love this because when we covenant with God, we are given access to this reframed identity. We're given access to this limitless power and we're reminded of his willingness to see things all the way through on our behalf. It's an amazing gift, this thing called covenant. It's an amazing gift. So we get to kind of the so what moment. And I've got just three quick thoughts for you and so what. The first might not apply to all of you, but man, I'd be missing an opportunity if I didn't, if I didn't just kind of put this out there. But I, I wonder if there's some of you that just need to step into covenant with Jesus today. You know, 
we, we've been talking about a lot of things and there's been a lot of gifts and promises thrown about and, and you will have access to those things if you just step into relationship with him, if you hand your life over to him. On the back side of your sermon notes, there's a, a great help to help you sort of process that. And I want you to know that, that anybody here at Heritage that's on the staff team and, and anybody with a lanyard at, at Bettendorf and, and here at Rock Island would talk to you if you want to make a decision to covenant with Jesus. If you're at Kiwani, any of the, the guys that are there volunteering, they, they, they would connect with you in a heartbeat. If you're watching online, just fill out the connection card that's online and let us know and we'll come alongside of you. But I think it's so important that we begin this journey, that we covenant, that we relationship with Jesus. The second kind of just encouragement that I would give to you is I would say we should remember God's past, uh, past faithfulness. Maybe even make this a discipline to maybe write it down or or something to, to capture those moments where you just see God's handiwork in your life and you see where he's come through for you and you just make a list, and, and when you're starting to drift towards what if, you get this list out, and you let it just inform you of how God has come through for you. Look at the scriptures and see how God has come through for his people time and again. I think this is one of the reasons why the scriptures ask us to remember so much. There's always this call, remember, 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 because God knows we struggle. We bounce back and forth between what if and even if, and And remembering God's past faithfulness is such a crucial help to to help us land into the even-if space. And then finally, I would just recommend that we be mindful of how God demonstrates his love for, for, for you, for us. I think this is important. Now, I think, you know, most of us know the cross. We know some of the big, big love themes that we, we understand those things. This is more centered. This is a call, really, for us to start noticing the little ways that God smiles at us every single day. I think if you're dealing with what if identity-based type questions, this is crucial. I, I just read a book. I just finished a book. And the author uh, encouraged readers to start a good and beautiful journal. And in this journal, you just like one or two things a day, you write down the ways that you notice God smiling at you in small ways. And uh, they, they really encourage using your senses for this. So it might be like a sunrise. It might be a sunset. It, it might be snow. I, anything after Christmas for me is ugly, but, but you might like it. Uh, it might be the, the smell of a good coffee or the taste of your favorite meal, the sound of your favorite musician. Maybe it's the, the feeling of the breeze, warm air, hopefully, uh, of, of the breeze against your face. These are all tangible reminders of God's gracious smile on your life, that, that he loves you, he is for you, and, and, and if we just have eyes to see and the wisdom to see those things, I think it can really help us come to a place of really trusting that God has reshaped our identity and actually fully knows us and loves us. Well, I love the Abraham story, and I'm excited. We've got a couple more weeks left of reflection on this. But my prayer for us today is that we would move from what if questions to even if, and to begin to trust God with those those difficult moments of our lives, those moments that tempt us to say what if, but that we would say, even if this happens, I will trust you because God is, he is love and his love and his faithfulness endures forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so very much 
for your great love and your great mercy. I just thank you so much for these stories that have been captured in the scriptures that help us travel and traverse through our own difficult, confusing circumstances. There are moments in life, Lord, that feel so dark and so confusing. And it's so uh, beautiful and rich that you, you say to us, I, I am in covenant with you, son and daughter. Trust me that regardless of what, what is like, what, regardless of the, what the waves look like that are crashing against you right now, that, that I have you and I am for you and I love you. And so Lord, I just would ask, I don't know where everybody's at today, but that you would meet with each one wherever they are and just remind them of your love, that you would give them a very tangible sense that you are smiling upon them right now. We love you, God, but we're so thankful you loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.